entering advertising is tough. There are so many ways to enter and each way seems to lead to a dead end. And I am talking pre-COVID breaking in was tough to enter. Think about the students out there right now. So on this episode, I talked to Steve Raquel. He's an adjunct lecturer in both the media and Geese Business School at the University of Illinois. However, we dive deep into Steve's early advertising break-in and entry as he was able to manage to combine his passion for sports and advertising all in one. Steve started off at Frankel, which is now part of the Leo Burnett system, where then he broke into the Olympic Village. He worked on some pretty large brands that we all make love. His story is a must-listen because Steve is an expert in sports marketing, public relations, and networking. I remember when I was in his class, he would bring in amazing guests every week like clockwork. So he will share his schemes to help you find a job amidst the pandemic, including strategic networking. So if you're out there and you hear anything that you like or find uh, helpful, please go to Apple Podcasts and give this star, give this five stars. Uh, or if you're interested in amazing graphic design and connecting with these guests, swipe to Instagram, search entering ad and give us a follow and shout out to Buchan, our amazing art director. And that pretty much ends the intro. This is the Breaking and Entering Podcast, and I am your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick the intro, Mikey. Steve Raquel, pleasure to have you on the Breaking and Entering Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on. I'm super excited about this episode. For the listeners out there um, who might not know you, um, you are an adjunct lecturer at the University of Illinois. Tell us more about that. Sure. Uh, you know, Gino, you are one of my former students, one of many, and uh, I'm excited to be on. I have been at the University of Illinois for the past seven years and started uh, as an adjunct in the College of Media, in the Department of Advertising, teaching a number of different courses, and uh, also am an adjunct over at the Geese College of Business, as well as teaching online in the Strategic Brand Communications Master's Program as well. So I spread my th- myself a little bit across the board. So now I'm curious, how did you get both into the College of Media and the College of Business? Was that predetermined or did you try to go for that? What was that like? Well, it, it's interesting. When I, uh, when I first started teaching, it actually started with guest lecturing. So I actually started guest lecturing in the college, in the Geese College of Business. It wasn't called that back then. Right. Uh, just offering to guest lecture and then it extended from there back into advertising. So I started guest lecturing there probably for a couple of years until an opening came up. And then then from that point on, I just continued to teach in one. And then there was an opportunity to, to create a course in the Geese College, and I was able to do that. So, um, you know, the university... Once you are on board and they feel comfortable with you, they are always looking for opportunities to provide quality education on different topics. So that kind of benefited me being able to be a little flexible in my background. Interesting. And 
And I noticed um, just from having you as a professor, uh, a lecturer, uh, you travel from the suburbs of Chicago to Champaign. Is that correct? I do. It's a, it's two twenty. Been doing it for seven years. Two twenty. It's yep. it's uh, pretty easy. You know, I when I worked in the city, it was one forty, and it was stressful every step of the way. So two twenty. It's an easy two twenty. It's an easy two twenty. Nice. So it's great. So the the theme here might be that um, you've been balancing out your own hustles, you know, your own business opportunities, as well as sure. being a professor, being an adjunct lecturer at the University yeah. of Illinois. Absolutely. I think it uh, plays towards kind of my personality. I I enjoy ver uh, variation. I enjoy newness in some respects. So uh, have, I've had my own uh, social and digital shop for the last 11 years. And so when I started that, one of the things somebody told me is if you're going to get, if you're going to expand your business, you in a sense have to teach others what you do. Uh, to kind of get it out there. That's kind of how the whole guest lecturing came up. So keep in mind, back in 2009, social media was a relatively new endeavor. So I started teaching that uh, relatively early, and that kind of afforded me this opportunity to teach. And it also helped me to kind of verbalize what I was learning. And then vice versa, by teaching, I'm in an environment of young professionals, soon-to-be professionals, with a, uh, a heartbeat on what's going on kind of in today, what's going on today. So, you know, I understood a little bit about Facebook a little bit more, uh, how they were using it, how things were changing. And so not only do I get to bring in things from my professional life into the classroom, which has been great, I'm also able to bring in what I'm learning from the student base and university and the college level back into what I'm doing professionally to make sure I'm on top of trends, on top of what's going on. And it's kind of been a, a really good balance between the two. It sounds like a perfect ecosystem, you know, in that social media realm. And you started off real early in 2009. Um, and I always say the best way, uh, whenever I was studying, the best way to learn something is to try to teach it. Um, yeah. that, that's the only way to really prove that you know something and you can kind of figure out what you don't know when you when you fail to teach it to somebody. So I would pull my friends into the room. Hey, let me try to teach you this concept um, mm -hmm. these, and go over some insights with them. But that was what I would do. Well, good. And it, it, it'll tell you, I mean, once you start to be able to crystallize those type of things, it really does help you in being able to effectively communicate difficult concepts into much more layman's terms. So let's break it down then. Um, sure. So you are an adjunct lecturer at the University of Illinois, but to my knowledge, you also attended the University of Illinois. I did. Let's I break am that also. Down. I'm also a townie, if you can believe that. So I grew up in Champaign. Wow. Went went to grade school, high school, and where'd you go to high school? Uh, Central. I'm a Central okay. guy. And uh, Illinois was technically really the only place I applied to. There are places I wanted to go, but Illinois was really where I, you know, ended up going. Uh, funny story, when I was growing up, I just found this out a number of years ago. My parents, when they were moving, wanted to, to move to a college town. They really wanted to have a place where their kids could, in essence, grow up, be educated, go to a local, you know, university. 
So it ended up being, he had, my dad had two places. It was either Texarkana, I have no clue where the college was down there, some, some college down there, or Champaign. And so I only, I, 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 I shudder to wonder what I would sound like with a Southern accent right now, as opposed to a Midwest <laughs> one. So That'd be awesome. But yeah, so I grew up there, went to Illinois, actually got my master's, my bachelor's and my master's from the U of I. So I am, I'm a double major, technically. You're um, all in on U of I. I was all in on the U of I. So I feel uh, like you would, wouldn't you want to get out of there after growing up there? And, you know, I, in Champaign? yes and no, um, but I was comfortable. It was good. It was good for me. I think, yep. you know, I was close to my parents and uh, my siblings had all gone there. You didn't live at home, did you? I did actually live at home the first year. Wow. First better, year I did. Probably better than the dorms. It was great. I mean, yeah. there's parts of me that I wish I lived in the dorms, but I was happy to live at home as well. Yeah. But I was on campus every day, so that wasn't right. that big of a deal. Gotcha. So, what are those things that? Um, what'd you major in? What? What? Did, how? Like, what activities did you do to get involved uh, to find your career that you are now? Oh gosh, you know, I was. I was way overextended when I was at the U of I, which was fine. I, you know, I started off slow. Uh, I, I really had a passion for uh, volleyball. So I was, for the first couple of years, I was on the Illinois men's club team and uh, really loved it. And I uh, got involved in a fraternity, got involved in a number of co- couple other activities, uh, was part of the Marching Illini. It, it was a... It, it, it was a busy time in college and, uh, you know, from being involved in fraternity and organizations and um, being part of the mar- marching Illini uh, and, um, you know, just being involved just in general. It was it was a great time for me. So I enjoyed it. It was great. Uh, I got my undergrad in advertising. Keep in mind, I probably changed my majors three or four times and Fair. then and then got to advertising totally enjoyed it and uh, if for some of the listeners who listened to this you know my Tiffany light white who's over in in geese she was one of my classmates so there are a number of people on campus who were my my you know who were at school when I was in school Steve Hall was in school when I was in school so you know, there's some you know continuing relationships that have happened since then. Wow. Um, so I, I decided to stay an extra year, um, which was good because I started dating my wife <laughs> at that time, and nice. so it was a good it was a good extra year. And I was a TA for Cialotnez, who is uh, the head of the marketing department now over at Geese, and um, and just took that whole year in. So. It was a good year. It was that that was grad school. That was grad school for me. And yeah. what was your graduate? It was in advertising too. So degree. We, I think you can still do this, but it's a plus, it's considered a plus one. So if you at Illinois, if you decide to go to grad school, your senior year would cons- be considered your first year grad school. So since I was basically kind of continuing on and getting my grad degree, it was a one year option instead of a two. 
So if you come from outside, it's a two-year option. If you're coming from within, it's a one-year option. Yeah. At least back then it was. So. Gotcha. And that was so you planned that out, and you know you weren't looking for jobs just yet. Once you. Well, um, you know, very similar to what we're happening here is is back in '91, we were entering in a really bad depression time period, okay. and so I. Uh, 92, summer in 92, um, it, it, the economy was struggling. And so, you know, it was a quick decision. I was going to, I was basically, you know, everything I, I wanted to stick around. And when the option of a one-year master's came on, which was technically paid for, honestly, back then it was easier to do. I just took it. So it was a, Part of it was economic related. Um, part of it, it was just, you know what, I just wanted an extra year to be on campus and uh, to enjoy it. So I took it. So yeah. So do you recommend students now? Let's um, fast forward to, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's people are struggling to find jobs. Is, is higher education even higher? Like, is that the next option, the next best thing? You know, I've talked to a number of different students about this. So the quick answer to this is it depends. Uh, so if you are trying to go to ma get your master's to delay the inevitable, I'd say no. Because in my case, I took the extra year and I was then now competing as a master's student or having a master's with people who were bachelors who weren't even advertising majors who were trying to get the same job. So employers would look at and say, well, do I want to pay more for a guy who has a master's degree or less for a kid who doesn't have a master's. So I ended up being in a, you know, it wasn't the greatest situation for me because they, they technically perceived me as I was more educated, but they didn't want to pay more if they had a position that they could pay somebody less. Does that make How sense? How do you communicate? Can you communicate that? Like, isn't, there's gotta be a solution. So, cause you know, if you get the higher education and you get a grad degree, can't yeah. you say in the application, like I'm, this is my estimated salary that I'm looking for. Some applications have that. They, yeah, they do. But again, it's, it's the perception of the master's degree is good in theory. It's not great in practicality coming straight out of school. Yeah. Because the, the thought of, the master's degree is it, it is applied advanced applied knowledge that you would use um, to get from a point A to point B much faster than if you did right. So when students come to me and say, "Should I get my master's?" I normally will say, "If you're if you're doing it because you want the education, you feel like you're lacking the education, then sure. If you're doing it because you aren't finding a job, I'd say." Eh. If you're doing it because, for example, I have the longer term vision of becoming a brand manager or a C-level person, I say, wait five years, wait at least two years, because uh, the people who I've seen successfully utilize and leverage an MBA or a master's degree are people who, when they go into the program, take what they're learning at that time and say, well, I'm working on a project right now that deals with this. Oh, I can apply that right now. So they have something to apply with. When you do that coming straight out of school, you don't have that experience. And so you, you, you don't 
you aren't able to use that in real time. Yeah. And so it's important. That's why a lot of like MBA students are people who are two, three, four years out out going, you know what, I, I want now to learn more about how to look at, uh, you know, uh, you know, our, our, our profit and loss sheet because now they're working with it and they sure. want to do that and understand that. Yeah. Because so, as the entry level, you know, if you're entry level, you might not be dealing with those higher management tasks. That is correct. Yes. And so, uh, also they'll, they'll help you. Sometimes employers will help pay for it later down the road. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So is that common or is that a myth? No, it's common. It actually is common. So, you in know, advertising? They, uh, I wouldn't Probably say, not. I wouldn't say in advertising, I would say just depending on the company because they'll have a off, you know, they'll, they'll offer uh, a defraying of ed continuing education. And so in doing that, it's a, just an opportunity for the employer to get, to, to get loyalty extended through paying of that. So there's usually like, hey, if we pay for your MBA, we get you for three more years type of It's thing. an investment. Yes, yep. totally. Okay. Yep. All right. That, I think that concludes my questions on the grad school. Sure. Um, but let's continue your story. So you sure. stayed, uh, you met your wife, fantastic, and you got your grad degree. Yeah. Then what? What did you do after that? You know, I, I, it took me eight months to get a job. Just so everybody understands, it's not, you know, all these people who get those job offers straight out of school, it doesn't always happen. Uh, I remember spending my time in downtown Chicago almost every day with my, my wife took, it took her even about as long, maybe even longer to get a job. Um, it was just a tough environment. And, you know, we were looking for those internships that would turn into jobs. I had a list of uh, 150 different contacts that I would sit every day and I would go through and call. I had an Excel sheet or WordPerfect sheet, I don't remember what it was. And, you know, just lists of all these people. Just I would call people who could I talk to. Spent so many, so many weeks just looking and looking and looking. And uh, it was tough. I got to tell you, it was tough. I would... I leveraged the uh, the Illini network of of alums, specifically mm -hmm. in the advertising uh, the advertising alums too, because I had been working with at the time Nancy Casey, who was at the at the time um, kind of the the rep within U of I for development for the college, and worked with her very closely, and she's like Steve. Here's a list of our alumni. Feel free, right? Even with all the contacts that I had in different agencies, you know, talking to, uh, you know, I talked to Beryl Shinero, who is a great friend of mine now, Bob Kumaki, to Lisa Wells, who's at J. Walter Thompson, to Ron, um, golly, uh, Ron Bess, who, hello. You hear me? Okay. Mm -hmm. My computer just like. All good. Right. Ron, Ron, Ron Bass. Bass, Ron Bass, who was with Bear Bass and Vander Walker. I mean, these were kind of the high end people, even with great contacts like that. It still took me eight months. 
um, because everybody was looking for a job, right? If and and again, this will happen next year with people who kind of delayed this year or take a gap year. You're going to get all those people pushing out trying to find the same jobs. So you know, and and and, and I remember one of the first interviews I had coming out of school, and this was a just a there were two interviews that I remember. One was with Beryl and one was with Bob. Uh, Bob was with, I forgot who it was, uh, but he sat me down and I remember interviewing with him and he said, Steve, why do you want to go in the advertising? This industry sucks. And I'm like, no way. What? Um, he goes, it's crazy. Why would you want to do it? I hate being in it. I and mean, he'd been in it for like 20 years at the time. And okay. I just, I was like horrified. I understand what he meant then, but you know, just the way that he presented it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what am I doing?" Uh, and then the other one was with Beryl, and I just remember sitting with her, and she said, "Steve, I'm your friend. You don't have to sell me. I just want to talk to you." And that helped me just to calm down and just be able to communicate my with my with other people a lot more effectively. So even though I didn't get a job, I learned a lot from building my network. And that has been one of the things I tell students all the time. And I told you too. It's like yep. you got to have a good network because those networks will work for you. And ultimately what ended up happening is that we, there was an internship opportunity at J. Walter Thompson. I was like one of 100 people interviewing. My wife interviewed as well. As, as well. My wife got the interview. And she got the internship. She worked with nice. Lisa, Lisa Wells, who um, actually has been working with the college. She's a great friend of ours. Uh, she was in the PR department. So my wife started interning with them, but I didn't get it. But the HR person, her name was, um, oh, what was her name? Uh, last name is Shoemaker. Um, anyway, and I totally forgot. Just wonderful lady she passed away from cancer but um she said steve i love you you're great we just can't we just we, we didn't hire you but there is an agency down the street i just came from to come over here it's called frankel um they're hiring they just got some new business can i send your resume over there sure two weeks later hired on from frankel hired on by a, a, a woman named uh, Nina Finearts, who was my direct report. Nina was an Illinois grad, love her to death. Um, and so that began my five-year tenure at my first agency, uh, wow. which I was lucky enough to be at because it is a it was a great agency. Yeah, so that was Frankel and Company. Uh, yeah. How many, you know, leading up to that, yeah. You know, how many resumes do you think you sent out physically? Because that was what it was like then, wasn't it? Two, three hundred. Yep. Honestly. So, so message to the audience out there, you know, that was when you had, you know, you had to get stamps, you had to put in an envelope. I don't even know how to do that nowadays. You can huh. go on LinkedIn now and message 200 people in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, you had to customize it you had to send it out you had to yeah maybe off. maybe in three hours but you yeah. can get it done if you work quickly you know it's a numbers game really somebody's gonna respond and then it just takes sometimes it takes a couple follow-ups yeah but my max you know, is three again it's one of those like you know you are you're on the phone you're you're visiting you're calling you're you're just you're 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 dialing for dollars in a sense yeah. <laughs> so back in the day you know it's 
it's not necessarily so much easier because you have easier, there's easier, um, not paywalls, but there's easier ways to ignore people. So you know what? You send me a LinkedIn, I can ignore it. You send me a, vo a voicemail, I can ignore it. Like, so so yeah, you can just the distribution methods are much easier to do, but still, it's sometimes it's even harder to communicate nowadays. Interesting. I believe it. Yeah. You just gotta keep going. Just gotta uh, again, like I have continued to tell people, build your network. Your network is going to be is val uh, the most valuable thing to you. What are some of the most helpful ways or tactics you had to build your network? What would you do? Uh, what do you do today? Because you still are built. You were always building your network. You know, I. Do you go to conferences? No. Nope. I mean, pre-COVID. Nope. I don't. Well, no, I don't. I really I mean, you know, you know me as a very outgoing, extraneous, extraneous, whatever the word is, extroverted, you know, extroverted person. I, I tend to be much more introverted going to these things. I really hate going to conferences. Um, I just, I'm, you know, in some respects, I'm a really nice homebody type person. Right. I, I, uh, I'm an, what do they call it? An introverted extrovert. Sure. Um, so I'll have my fill and then I'm like, I'm home. So I, in terms of building networks, I'm very strategic about it uh, because I don't, while I, I have a very large network, um, I, I vet my network. And, and the reason is, and I protect my network because I, I try very hard to make sure there's a reason I reach out and a reason to connect people together. Just because I don't like it when people just, you know, reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I need something from you. That's just not my thing. Gotcha. So there's, there, one, there has to be a reason to connect. There has to be value on both sides for me. Two, if I meet you, I strategically try to make sure I connect with you immediately. So if I know if if I met somebody this morning, I met a person this morning. I'm like, the the window for them to remember me is going to be very short. So I need to make sure to reach out at that point, make it quick. And so, and then the next thing is, I don't flurry them with requests immediately. No, I just I make a connection. I leave it. I say hello, and then I leave it. I'm my my goal. When when I tell people always be connecting, it the goal is is to connect strategically, but you're not leveraging those connections immediately. Mm -hmm. um, the worst thing that you could do is that you lose your job, and all of a sudden now you're like, I don't have a network. I gotta go now, and I I gotta go and build my network, and I have to connect with them, and I have to make an ask. That just that's just like the most the the worst approach that you can take, mm -hmm. because because now me as a recipient go, I, I get it. And I'm like, Ugh, the only person he's out of a job. All I'm going to get from him is he's going to ask me for a job, and I don't have a job. And you know what? It's it's just not uh, psychologically. You just don't like those type of relationships of people who are only. You feel like you're being used the entire time, so. If you're building a relationship and you're, you know, you're being respectful for it, 
then at least you know it's sitting there available to you as opposed to you um, reaching for it and then having to use it immediately, if that makes sense. Yeah, there needs to be some re reciprocity. There is. Benefit. There is a there's a concept I teach uh, in the classes, and I don't remember if you remember this, is, is the concept of the social bank. And I tell people, when you build relationships and build your network, think about building other people's social banks up. So you need to you need to give more to the people that you're expecting to get from. So if I want somebody gotcha. to, for example, to speak in my class, and um, I think they have something, I, I'll reach out to them or I'll send them something. I'll connect with them and say, hey, you know, you know, Paul Gunning, CEO of DDB. You know, I've I've asked Paul every once in a while, and it never really works out. But what I want to make sure is like. I'm sending something to Paul every once in a while. I'm just, you know, checking in with him. I'm so when I do make the ask, I'm not the ask wasn't the very first thing I'm asking. The ask comes after I'm I've built one built a solid relationship with him. I'm giving things that he needs that may have been interest to him. So then when I ask, it's just one part of the relationship. It's not the only part of the relationship. Right. And so when you do that, when you build up that social bank, then people are willing to go, well, Sure, you know, this is not the only thing our relationship is built on. So that's why, you know, when I get those guests in my classes, it's those are people who have built that relationship over years, and I'm not asking only for them to, to talk in my class. Wonderful. So, um, and, and that's helpful. So just keep that in mind. I like the idea of the social bank yes. and strategically networking. I, I think you um you depicted that very well so i appreciate it and i think that's something our audience could take and apply immediately so okay frankel and company um yep. i want to get into um so we broke into your first job but i'm definitely interested in the united states olympic committee sure so um i had because i was a part of sports in college and I love sports and, mm -hmm. and uh, just that was my passion. I think uh, in college, one of the things I remember as an undergrad is my dream job is I wanted to be a marketing manager in sports marketing for McDonald's. That was my dream. So much so much so that during my wedding that there was a portion of it that they have on camera that's um, my, my in-laws her, her family, very musically gifted, wrote a song about me working for McDonald's. I mean, that's no way. how clear it was. So no uh, it was a little foreshadowing. And, you know, and my first job out of college was working for on the McDonald's account. But it wasn't on sports at all. It was on new products. You know, it, was, it was very unsexy. And um, it was it was something i had to learn that i like telling my students is you know no matter where you are learn just keep learning yes. because um i it wasn't that i wasn't the the jump from going from new products to sports would think it's a long jump but it ended up not being a long jump um and i'll quickly just kind of explain why um one is, I had a really hard boss. 
ultimate boss. Very, very difficult, almost to the point that I quit. Um, because, because I think the transition of what I learned in school and how the practicality of my job, just there are things in real life you don't learn in school. That's why I'm, the way that I teach is a little different is I, I'm trying to prepare my students for what the reality of the, the job entails. Um, not that. just the knowledge, yes. And so so when you when when I got into the real world, there were things that I still needed to know that had nothing to do with classwork. And it took a couple of good mentors for me to really start to perform at a level that helped me on the job. That then the things I were really good at and the knowledge base that I could bring could really shine. Nice. And it took me it took me about three years. So I started working at Frankel at 93. So it took me two years to finally get to a good place where I finally was getting, I got a promotion. And um, as luck has had it, you know, if you believe in luck, is that in 95, uh, McDonald's uh, was a worldwide sponsor of the 96 Olympic Games. And it was their first kind of worldwide sponsorship in 96, and it was in Atlanta, Georgia. And they wanted, they were as part of their agreement, they were going to build restaurants plus have presence in the Olympic Village. And they tasked my agency to um, do the look of the games. What would the restaurants look like? What would McDonald's overall branding look like? And because of the turnaround that I made from almost wanting to quit to performing at the highest level, they said, Steve, we're putting you on this project. Nice. So I was on a team of four, and one was as a designer, um, still friends with them to today, but the designer was, he used to work at Six Flags. He currently uh, works at Disney. He designed all of the Star Wars stuff that you see. You know, he's big time. And uh, it was a designer and then two other account people. And we were in charge uh, for all of the look of the games, everything. And, um, you know, I spent 96 in Atlanta and, you know, basically having all access, working the Olympic Village side by side with all the athletes, with my wife, which was great because they needed more people and uh, making sure that, you know, our presence was there on site and it turned out great. It was a great experience and it opened the door for McDonald's at the time to think about how, what is their look in the stores for all of their sports properties? Because before that they really didn't integrate. They, they did advertising and they paid the money, you know, they worked with Mike, Michael Jordan, they did the advertising, but they didn't really think about holistically what that looked like in the stores. And so I became that person. They said, Steve, we, we, you know, for the worldwide games, for the, sorry, for the World Cup, what does it look like to have a presence in all of our stores in the world? So we created um, a presence that um, uh, stores from every country who had World Cup could have a customized look for their own home team. Nice. Uh, what does that look like for the Super Bowl? What does that look like for NBA? So that is how 
I transitioned from doing new products to starting to do sports. Yeah, it ties hand in hand, and it, it seems like you were able you were able to make that connection. Yeah, and then in '97, uh, they announced that the Olympic Games in 2002, and it's usually seven years in advance, um, were going to be in Salt Lake, and they needed to have uh, account managers who were going to handle all of the uh, all the sponsors that they're going to have, and so they were going to start with four. And they had 750, I think, applicants. And I was sure. selected as one of four. Nice. But the benefit side was that my my clients at McDonald's were the ones that really pushed for me to be considered. I, you know, I, I threw my hat in the ring. But it was because of the work that I had done that they said, you know what, we think Steve should get a shot you know and, and again remember mcdonald's was a top sponsor it was a worldwide sponsor yeah so their words had weight and so that helped me to be considered seriously for the position which i was very grateful for that's so amazing um it's kind of like how you hear um people from the agency side will end up going client side it um, absolutely based happens. Based off the relationship with the clients that you have, you know, if you're working with somebody for three, five years yep. and they're looking for an opening, they'll come to you. Yeah. I just had a student who just, a former student just, you know, said, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to get a change. And I said, think about client side and, and what ends up happening. And this happens to happen to all my friends. It continues to happen. You're at an agency. You are learning that client's business and intimately. Yep. And so, it's an easy transition to go from the from the agency side to the client side because you don't have to be you, you have those relationships you know the business you know are almost everything yeah. it's an it's an easy sell to go to the client side at that point if you want to what are the pros and cons of going to that client side oh funny it's fresh off my mind so um, you know client side now this is not all that this is sure. just my experience so keep that in mind Client side's great. Golden handcuffs, you get options, you get paid a ton more, you work technically a little bit more uh, normal hours. Right? Yep. You're, you're, you're also responsible for one main thing. Yep. Um, so that depth. is your life, right? There's more that, depth than breadth. breadth. Correct. The, so so you, get, you get that kind of balance and you, you – in some respects, you you don't have to push on the gas pedal as much. That's my kind of experience, right? There's there is a there's a there's a monotony that comes with working at the client side because um, agencies are go go go, lots go of when you, yeah. When, when you're, you're young, young. Yeah. but when you're in agency, when you're at the client side, they're like, you know what? We're on a we're kind of on a cruise ship, and we're going to be on it a while. So you know what? Buckle like in. Once you have kids, I feel like it would be kind of stressful to have that agency tasks. It can be. Right. It kind of depends. I mean, you know, there's, there's always there's 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 a in the agency side, you're you're defined by who you have on your roster, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's always this sense of like, if we lose an eight, if we lose billings, my job is kind of eh, not really sure. Um, there's still that on the client side, but on the agency side, there's 
there's always this, you know, what, where's the next meal and, you know, who do we have? And, and so, but there's the, but, but that, okay. So that's the good part about the client side is there's, there's a little bit of a stability there, sure. you know, Lot, most of the people I know who are on the client side are living in the suburb, have kids, have consistency. Um, you know, they still have their stressors. Um, the the detriment, if there is detriments to being on the client side, is you know what? If if that if the economy tanks, just like it happened with me and McDonald's, you know what? They're gonna do a wide swath of of you know, lose, you know, you're going to lose a job. You're going to be unemployed. Um, and, and so you, you tend to be, you know, you're, you're stuck then looking for a job at a higher rate. Um, secondly, because it's depth, your, your day to day can be kind of monotonous and depending on the level you are, it can be, um, uh, you may not have a lot of choices. You may be an executor of a strategy that you did not come up with. Right. So, uh, and I've talked to a lot of my friends. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm a product manager, but you know what? The decision has been made already, so I'm just really executing. Yeah. Um, the the other part is is that um, the brand side or company sides tend to be a little bit more political. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of politics at play in terms of like who gets promoted. Because again, you know, on the company side, when you get to those C-suites things, those are very, very powerful positions, right. and they tend to be winds of change. You know, a promotion doesn't go well, or we're down stock price, we gotta get rid of the CMO. Who we're we gonna pick next? You know, and and if you've hooked your hooked your future towards somebody who becomes the CEO, then great. But if you hit cook yourself to the C C sorry the CEO or CMO who gets let go and they want to bring in their own people, then not great. So, you know, there's a lot of politics about that. Um, on the agency side or on the client side, sorry, you're also overseeing a lot of agencies. So you have a little bit more power, but you also have the responsibility of kind of the larger piece of the puzzle. Gotcha. I like that. Like me, for me, I like seeing the larger marketing mix and how it all works together. On the agency side, you're working specifically, like I worked on POP. Uh, Leo Burnett worked on the advertising. So-and-so worked on direct mail. So-and-so worked on multicultural. So-and-so worked on um, on digital. So you you didn't get that breath. You Your responsibility was very narrow. Gotcha. So uh, keep that in mind. So there's there is pluses or minuses on either side. So both in terms of a personal lifestyle, but also what you do. But I, I, when people, when students come to me and people who want to get in the industry ask me, I, my tendency is to say, get that ex agency experience for at least two and a half, three years, up to five. Um, at that point, if you want a roadmap, consider getting an MBA and then, or go to the client side and then consider if you want to grow in that industry, then get your MBA or an advanced degree. Got it. That, that seems to be the framework that I, that I learned. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with. Why yeah. not? Why not? All right. 
there's got to be some great stories that you've had, uh, you know, working with the Olympic Games. So why don't you give us a fun story and then we'll kick it off to some general advice throughout Corona. Ha. Okay, let's see here. Um, I'm trying to think a couple of good stories, Olympics. Well, I mean, uh, a quick story, and I've told the story before, is that uh, one of my days when I was working in Salt Lake, I, I showed up early to my job, and I have a key pass, and I got into the building, and somebody behind me just said, hey, can you hold that door for me? And I said, sure. You know, held the door. You're not technically supposed to hold the door, but yeah. I looked at the guy. He's legit. Let him in. Immediately gets on the elevator, go up to my floor, um, and he was at the same floor, and he turns to me, and he says, he goes, hi, it's my first day on the job, and I go, welcome aboard, and he goes, I'm, I want to introduce myself, I'm Mitt Romney, and I said, oh, I know who you are. Oh, no <laughs> I'm way. And so <laughs> I let Mitt Romney in on the first day of his job, which I think is funny. Um, wow. Yeah, and that was after all, like, Salt Lake went through a whole scandal, had lost the leader, Mitt came in at $1 a year, and, uh, you know, had yet to get kind of put into the system. So I let him in on the first day. Remind me, I know, what did he do for the Olympics? And, and did, he was pretty re highly regarded for his work with the Olympics, correct? Absolutely. So we needed new leadership after the scandal. And so he came in, he was... He is from Bain and Company, multi-millionaire, originally from Salt Lake. He's also LDS or he's Mormon. So he, we needed somebody to kind of re put us back on kind of brand. And so he was selected and he graciously came on board. Well, he basically said, I will work for a dollar a year. If we if we make a profit, then I'll consider, you know, taking a salary at that point. Sure. Um, but but he really kind of redirected he let us out of kind of the the bad parts of the uh bad part of the movement back into profitability he was a he's cool. a great leader for us so so did you work with him frequently um i did not i did not because he was real i mean he he kind of led the mission so i worked with some of the people under him so but he was our leader he's our yeah. gracious leader um let me think about I'm looking around. How was the Olympic Village? It was great. You know, I've been to a couple of them, but the one that I worked in, it was it was great. You were you use every single word, foreign word or phrase you could. It was great. It was absolutely the fa most fantastic thing. I'll tell you. You know, so a couple of stories there. One, my wife, she she has a uh, she has a penchant for for learning little bits of pieces of of of, uh, of different languages, but her her the language she learned very well is Spanish. So she's she's not necessarily bilingual, but she's she's really good. But um, mm -hmm. one of the people that she ended up kind of befriending was a Cuban boxer, and so uh, it was great. You know, they would come. We we had a program, um, and at some point I'll show you. But but uh, I created a pin program, so you visited all of our locations in the village you can get a pin put all the pins together on a hat it was really great pins were a big thing in the olympics and so you know yep. we had these people who were just do, would do anything for a pin 
it was great for me. Um, are these athletes or visitors? These are athletes. These are athletes. no way. Yeah, they, so, well, they are competitive. They probably want to. Yeah, they want. They are competitive, right? So, yeah. so you know, my wife was just you know she she was talking to this guy and you know we back in our minds we're like I wonder if this guy's going to con- like uh, will defect <laughs> seek asylum. I think we did at the end of the day. I think like a bunch of like Cuban uh, boxers ended up like going to the embassy to like defect before the end of the Olympics, like after they were done. Um, But for me, um, one of the the most interesting parts was the fact that we had a absolutely think of like the armory as a temporary structure. And in it, there were, there were 10 or 15 different restaurants with one of them being McDonald's. Um, you would see these weightlifters come in and they get free food. Everybody gets free food. They would put five, six, you know, cheeseburgers, Big Macs, fries. They were getting bulked up, right? Nice. And they would sit down and they would eat. And they were just these huge honking things. <laughs> well, what I didn't expect is after competition, the gymnasts would go in there five, six different meals. Like, they ate as much as the weightlifters, but they were they were basically on food restrictions until they were, they were done. But yeah. everybody wanted McDonald's, all from all around the world. When they were done with competition, they wanted they wanted some American fast food. food. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. You know, I know I know wrestlers in high school and some in college oh. that just man they cut weight and they work so hard. And once yeah. that meat is over, that weigh in really is oh, over. My. For some it people, was they go crazy. It was amazing, but the it wasn't that they it wasn't just that they went to get McDonald's. It was the amount of food that they would eat. Oh yeah, they were just voracious, and I was like, oh my gosh, this little five you know five one gymnast from another country is downing like three Big Macs and two fries and I see. Like, holy mackerel! If anybody deserves it, it's them. Oh, it was great. Any um, other famous people you ran into just out of my own curiosity? You said, uh, you know, I I have been blessed to to meet a lot of athletes. So you know, I uh, there's a picture I have. Uh, you'll you can't see it, but it's right here. Uh, they did a photo shoot one day in one of our restaurants where they just had Grant Hill give up fries. And I like, I'm like helping out. And all of a sudden this person's like up next to me giving fries out. I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, it's Grant Hill. (laughs) Um, So, you know, and Grant was hurt at the time. Um, Not at the Olympics, but part of the Olympics, I was working with the U S national team, basketball team in night in 2008 and Ooh. we were in Las Vegas because they were doing some things there. And we were basically at a party. Everybody was there. And uh, I was sitting next to – I was basically I was sitting next to LeBron and Dwayne Wade. And back oh, in right. 2008, they were texting. They were both sitting there. They were not engaged. And uh, with anybody, they were just sitting there. I don't know what they were doing. I was sitting there, and I like turned to, I turned to Dwayne, and I go, "Who are you texting?" And he goes, 
LeBron. No way. <laughs> and I'm like, in the I same car? Under, not in the same car. In the oh. same in the same room. Like oh, same sitting, room, room. They were sitting right next to each other. They were like okay. sitting right next to like texting each other at the game. And I, I couldn't understand that. I was like, wait, why don't you talk? Like you were standing right next to why are you talking? I get it now, but it was yeah. really kind of funny back then. You're like, yeah, I'm texting. That's incredible because they always cover their, you know, whenever they talk, they cover their mouth. Their, yeah, they don't want anybody. Well, this is a party. This is at a party. So yeah. this wasn't on, this, on the court. Well, I, I, I thought you yeah. said you were on the way to the party. My, my no, 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 no. I was at a party. It was a, it was, it was a nice party. I, that sounds fun. I have a I have a basketball over here that is signed by almost almost everybody on the team, which is great. Wow! So LeBron included. That so. I mean, what what way to achieve your dreams there? Being you know, so you wanted to be a brand manager. Yeah, yeah. So and and sports was your passion. Yeah. So you did it, and that's incredible. I did it, and it's uh, it's been fun. Like I, you know, I still have. I still have great relationships mm-hmm. that with in that network in that in that world. I get to bring that network into the classroom, so it's really been a great thing. Yeah, you would bring in about like a guest every week, almost, so almost to the detriment of me teaching. Right? <laughs> no, well, it was a three-hour class, and yeah. it worked out well. So, yeah, because you were in my two ninety class, right? You were mm-hmm. in my yeah, so. You know, I didn't have any shortage of of people to speak, which was great. Interesting people. I remember who did the Aeon deal with? Oh, Gordon. No. Yeah. The no. Aeon deal with? No, that was uh, Jordan. Jordan. That was Jordan. I tell my friends that all the time. They're jealous yeah. of all my soccer friends. Yeah. And that that was a yeah, because that story about bring, getting Jordan into the Olympic Village. That one was really funny. Yeah, that's a good one. So. All right, let's wrap it up here. Let uh, I'll finish off here. I know you give a lot of great advice, but what's that one thing you want to send off to students out there? And not even U of I students. We've got students from probably just U of I, but <laughs> what's the advice that you have for some of them out there? Um, we know you're a great networker. We know uh, you're a hard worker, but what, what especially now with COVID, what, what's some piece of advice they can take in now? Uh, I give two pieces. One is use the time that you're not not finding a job just to learn. There is no shortage of learning. Getting your AdWords certificate to getting a certificate. Um, learning is going to be great. You should be a lifelong learner. Uh, that has played well with me. And uh, learning new things is going to be very, very helpful. Yeah. Two, as it relates to just interviewing and um and getting the job or not getting a job um what i like telling people is look for the fit they are looking for the fit uh i had a really good friend i i was staying at his place the other day and he is one of the first employees of um accenture like he is like have 200,000, I think, employees. And yeah, he is huge. He is one of the first 2,000, right? So he's been there for 25 years. And he's sitting there and he said, Steve, I want, I, if I could tell you anything about hiring somebody, tell them, uh, tell them to, uh, what was it? It was basically be, uh, be teachable. 
And so I would say be teachable or show that you're teachable, but also look for the fit. Because what, but because at the end of the day, um, if you get the interview, what that tells, tells, it should tell you is you, you've passed the, the requirements of what they would consider to work there. They're, you're at least considering you. Yeah. If, if you, if, if I, and I've been on the hiring side, when I get down to my three or four, the conversation with the team isn't about your capability at that point. It is about your fit. True. Because at that point, everybody can do the job. But we're always looking at, well, who is who really do we want to hang out with at that time? Who, who do we want to spend the next 10 or 12 hours a day? Who is the person who we think we can teach and is not going to be a jerk or is not going to turn around and just, you know, uh, be a bad fit yeah. because you know that's that's kind of the thing and so and it's not that you can't do the job it's is who do we feel like we is going to represent the agency or our company well so if you feel good if if you come out of the interview and you feel like that is a good click then the likelihood you're going to get it if you feel good and don't get it don't feel bad. Basically, what I say is keep going because you've proven that you have the technical capabilities to do the job. What you haven't found is the people who you're going to do it with. Right. So mentality-wise, do not get defeated by not getting the job. It may actually be a good thing because you don't want to be in a situation where you get into a job and all of a sudden, and I've had this happen, I got the job but I hate the people I work with or the job's not what I wanted or whatever it is where I found it is, man, I found these people are great. You know, this is, this is, you know, I love what I'm doing, but I love the people. And that's where people leave jobs because of people (laughs) at the end of the day, that's what ends up happening most of the time. So for the students find the right fit Mm -hmm. when you're looking for jobs, look for, Look for environments that reflect who you are or want uh, and the people or the teams that, that you feel like you're going to connect with. And be yourself because that's what they're getting. That's Don't, the fit. That's the fit because that's what they're getting. So if you put on airs and say, hey, you know, oh, oh, then then they're going to be disappointed and you're going to be disappointed. So yeah. be yourself and find the fit. Amazing. Appreciate it. Is that helpful? I hope that's yes, helpful. it is. All right, very cool. helpful. Good. Um, so, is it okay if I share your LinkedIn profile to absolutely, awesome. absolutely? We'll see if they strategically network properly. Sure, and have them network with me. Yep. Um, and uh, last piece, and yep. and, and and you know you know this is if you ever have ever have a guest speaker in a class, go and introduce yourself to them. Oh, yeah. And then and then LinkedIn with them. I will tell you, happens. I mean, because you know, I've had plenty of of people come in. It's I can't have I can't tell you how many times I've talked to these people afterwards and said no, but no one came up to say hi. No one connected with me. Mm-hmm. There is there is a sense of like these people are beyond reproach. That's not the case. They they want to help you. Yep. So go and reach out to them. You never know. Because 
the likelihood is there's going to be one or two people. And, and when you reach out to them again in the future, they're more than happy to help you. They just want to make sure that you make the first move. So keep that in mind, reach out to the people, introduce yourself, any opportunity is uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be long and anything, just, hi, I'm Steve Raquel. And, you know, do you mind if I connect with you on LinkedIn later on? Absolutely. Boom. Boom. That's it. Money. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much. This is the Breaking Entering Podcast and Steve Raquel. Thank you for coming on. You're welcome. Look forward to connecting with people. so much for getting to the end of the breaking and entering podcast if you're out there looking for a mentor steve or kel is your guy he can help you out so much when it comes to networking and meeting the right people and just sheer wisdom of being in the industry for so long he's one of those professors that commutes from the suburbs to school every week so he's really dedicated he wants to help people out shout out to steve again shout out to mikey malarkey the audio technician and buchan jong the uh, graphic designer, just amazing people, can't do without you. Next week, we have Justin Barnett, the host of the Academics Podcast. So that'll be exciting. Take care.